2: The RV Show USA Hi, it's the RV Wingman, and welcome to today's podcast. Before we begin, make sure and download my latest free RV report. It'll save you thousands when buying or selling an RV and prevent you from being ripped off. My latest report is available now at FreeRVReport.com
0: The
3: RV Show USA Start living the RV dream
2: And welcome, everybody. Glad you could join us. Alan Warren here, the RV wingman. Pull up a seat around my virtual campfire where we're sitting around talking about RVs and camping and just good old-fashioned fun with some of today's most popular RV influencers. The
0: RV Show USA. Start living the RV dream today.
2: Now, today's virtual campfire is brought to you by My Free RV Report. Learn how to save thousands when buying a new RV and avoid being ripped off. Download the most recent RV report at FreeRVReport.com. The RV Show USA. Start living the RV dream today. Hey, everybody. You got Alan Warren here, the RV wingman. Glad you are with us today. We just, just tossed another log on the campfire. We're getting ready to talk about something or some things that, you may be guilty of and not even know it. Depending upon where you RV, there are some laws that you need to be aware of, laws that you may well be breaking. Up now, our friends from Let's Turn It Up World, David and Tanya are here to go over some of the, you may consider to be sneaky laws where you could find yourself in trouble. Today we're
3: sharing 11 laws folks in the van life and RV community break. Some of these might surprise you and a few you might be breaking without even realizing it.
4: First up, sleeping overnight on some city streets and public parking areas. In recent years, it's become more and more difficult to find overnight parking. I think everyone in the RV community and van life community understands this. And uh, in certain cities and municipalities, it's actually illegal to sleep overnight in your RV or van.
3: Yeah, be very careful, because you don't wanna wake up with a boot
4: keeping overnight at some
3: state rest areas. Now, many states have been cracking down on how long you can rest in their highway rest areas. An example of this is Tennessee. They only allow a max of two hours resting in their highway campgrounds, which is kind of weird.
4: That's crazy. It is crazy. It does not seem like any kind of rest to me. No, not at all. And Florida, while
3: they give you a little bit more of a break, they're saying non-commercial vehicles can have three hours in their resting areas, no more that's also what right
4: and you know they're probably trying to also leave room for truckers too and i know rvers and van lifers have been taking up spaces so we understand that yeah but certainly it can be illegal if you're trying to spend the night overnight in a rest area make sure you know the rules of the state laws of the state Mm -hmm. as well as the laws of that particular rest area Pay attention to signs. Yes, absolutely. And when you are
3: going to spots that will allow you to camp overnight, like Dave was saying, just be respectful of the truckers. Yeah. You know, the, the homeboys and homegirls that are out there doing their thing, uh, delivering and driving across the country they're a lot bigger than most of us so leave room for them. drinking alcohol in some
4: state parks mm. that's right some state parks actually make it illegal to bring and drink alcohol in those parks we've noticed that particularly in california mm-hmm. right now at the same time these same state parks allowed van dwellers and RVers to go and spend the night in those parks and so you do have to wonder were folks actually cracking open a drink and those because if they were doing so—technically, they're breaking the law. Yeah. And there's no no idea how strictly that is enforced, but just be aware of that if you're staying in a state park. Understand the rules regarding alcohol and alcohol consumption.
3: Yeah. And nine times out of ten, there will be signs will be staring you right in your face if you look for them. Just just saying. Driving overweight in your camper van. You know, every rig has a weight capacity. So even if you can fit all your belongings in your rig, you have to be aware of the weight capacity limit. You know, we know to this day, there are probably a ton of folks still driving overweight in their RVs. You know, when we first got our RV, we were super excited. We loaded up our RV before hitting the road. We ended up getting to a weigh station and quickly found out that we were overweight and had to make some adjustments it's crazy
4: yeah and it can be really tough too especially if you're full-time you're trying to bring all your belongings with you inside your rig and like Tina said we found we were overweight you have to make a tough decision on what to bring and yeah, what not to bring. exactly I
3: like like you know my cadbury eggs my grogu um my extra blanket my bucky's my extra bucky's beaver nuggets um you know all that good stuff you need everything Driving
4: through some tunnels with propane! Quite a few tunnels prohibit propane in them due to safety concerns. And that's because propane is actually heavier than air and can pull at the bottom of tunnels. And so if propane is prohibited in those tunnels, just make sure you do not take your tanks or your rig inside them. Not only is it illegal, but it's also dangerous. And on a secondary note, we actually recommend that you always turn off your propane while driving. While it may not always be technically illegal, it's just much safer to do so.
3: So an interesting fact that may surprise you is that propane restrictions in tunnels generally depends on if, say, it's a tunnel that's uphill or downhill. <laughs> dumping your gray water outside of approved dumping stations.
4: Now, we have heard stories of some people actually dumping their gray water out in the woods and not at approved dump stations. And now, this is generally illegal and you shouldn't do it. Now, some, some will argue that gray water is just soapy water and things like that, but the fact is, I mean, gray water does stink and it's definitely considered toxic uh, by many authorities, so just don't do it. All of the organizations that manage our federal lands have made it illegal to dump gray waters on the lands that they manage. Now the lone exception to that is the Bureau of Land Management or BLM land. And even within that, there are many exceptions within BLM land where you can't dump your gray water. So just make sure you check very carefully uh, if you're gonna go on BLM land. And our recommendation is just don't do it. Don't dump that gray water.
3: Thank you, Professor Dave. Exceeding the maximum speed limit of your tire.
4: Now this next one applies to our veers who are more likely in towables or fifth wheels with low rated tires. And the point is, is that many of those rigs actually have very small tires that may be only rated to go 55 miles an hour. So even if the speed limit on the highway you're on might be 70, five, right, you're limited to going 55. And so you should not exceed that for safety reasons. So definitely just don't do it. Be aware of what is the limitation of your tires.
3: with your hazard lights on. Now you often see RVers, camper vanners and sometimes cars driving with their hazard lights on and most times these are in situations where it's like fog or heavy rain or wind or snow but in many states this is illegal and sometimes can be more dangerous than just keeping them off. Now we do recognize it's common practice for big rigs to put on their hazard lights when they're going up mountainous roads and especially to let other drivers know that they cannot maintain the speeds to get Up those mountainous hills, so we're not really referring to that situation. Darkly tinted windows. You know, states vary when it comes to regulations regarding tinting on your rig. As a matter of fact, some are very restrictive. Examples like New Hampshire, New Jersey, and Vermont, they are super restrictive. And I think they don't even allow tinting on those front two windows. So moral of the story is, if you're gonna be driving in places that have high restrictions regarding front window tinting, and you have them, you might not wanna go there because if they require you to take them off, you're gonna have to take them off. So uh, okay, um, let me ask you this question then, Dave. So, so sure. if I'm I'm not gonna actually remove my tinting, it costs me a lot of money to do that. So what should I do if I'm driving in one of those restrictive states?
4: Well, I can drive with the windows down. <laughs> oh. hope, hope it's not in the middle of winter.
3: Yeah, <laughs> drive with my windows down. Does that make sense? Yeah. Thanks, Professor Dave. Living in your RV or even parking your RV on your own gosh dang property.
4: Yes, this one surprises us a bit, right? If you own your property, you think, okay, we can park or live in our RV on the property. That's actually not necessarily true. Many towns and municipalities have strict regulations about where you can park your RV and may actually have a limitation on the time you can actually keep your RV On your own property
3: yeah as a matter of fact that can even apply to a lot of places that have like an HOA oh yeah they will tell you probably right in those documents no RVs allowed and so you'll have to find an alternate place for that RV and the rules can change it in a minute
4: exactly so right so if you do own land make sure you understand what the regulations are on that property for an RV keeping it there and also living in it
3: let's talk about taxes you know everyone's favorite topic.
4: <laughs>
3: state tax domicile rule. Can a state tax you
4: as a resident? Yes, taxes. Right? Everyone's yeah. favorite. And uh, now this is really about where, what state are you basically domiciled in for tax purposes. And the general rule, which is the most common rule in most states, is 183 day rule, meaning if you spend more than 183 days in a particular state during the tax year, you're going to be deemed to be a resident and domiciled in that state for tax purposes, which means then they will tax you in that state, tax your income in that state.
3: Now, these rules vary from state to state, so be aware of the
2: domicile rules, especially for your specific situation. Great information, as always, from one of the nicest couples out there in the RVing space. Now, what Dave and Tanya did not mention is laws pertaining to firearms If you are a carrier of firearms, I strongly suggest you check and see what restrictions, what laws apply for the state you're going to be traveling in and through. One state like Texas has far different firearms laws than California. And the last thing you want is a firearms violation. I'll promise you. My favorite resource personally for firearms info is at gunlaws.com. Again, gunlaws.com. Thanks to David and Tanya from Let's Turn It Up World. I hope you'll check them out. We've got a link to them on our website at TheRVShowUSA.com. There's lots more ahead right here on the country's only syndicated radio show about the RV lifestyle. Helping you to learn so you won't get burned. He's back on the radio again. Up now is one of those segments that has, well, nothing to do with RVing, but I believe its message is powerful. Our friend Dwayne Noel, aka the Dry Creek Wrangler, has some thoughts. Well, wait for it. It's on mental health. Now, hang on. How can a cowboy know anything about mental health? Well, the Dry Creek Wrangler is not your typical cowboy. In addition to his signature hat and always-present cigar, Dwayne has so much wisdom, and he's got an interesting perspective on things. And if you listen, I mean, really listen, I think you'll come away with some ideas you just may want to put into practice. Sometimes...
1: You need to take a young horse or an older horse, a horse that's head is up here. His energy is up here. His focus is out there. He doesn't want to be still. He doesn't want to stand. He doesn't want to listen. Instead of picking fights, instead of running the hound out of an in arena, what they need is about eight, 10, 12 miles of rough going on the trail or out across the pasture at a good steady, good steady hammer and walk uh, and just doing that and doing that and doing that. It's mandatory to make a good horse. You got to have it. The same thing works for kids. My wife and I raised seven kids and uh, we had two boys, four girls and then a boy. When the boys got out of hand, we didn't we didn't put them on riddling. When they had trouble focusing, when they had trouble being still, when they had trouble, you know, with their attitude and had trouble. It's just boy, uh, that's the makings of what is going to make a man into a go-getter, into a thinker, into a dreamer, into a an inventor, into a writer. That's things, and these are not things that that we want to cover up with drugs. Will my youngest son? They were going to try to put him on on riddling and stuff. And I'm like, Thunder, no, you're not doing that. What are you going to put him on? We're going to put him on wood pile. We're not going to put him on riddling. We're going to put him on wood pile. Now, what does that mean? It means we have a huge pile of wood out here and that pile of wood is going to be transferred from point A to point B. And that's his job. We're going to put him on rock pile. We're going to pick up the rocks and put them in the driveway where they need to be. Uh, and I'm going to be out there with him. All right. He's going to work with me. Uh, we're going to put him on fence post. We're going to put him on on, on uh, post hole diggers. We're gonna work. When things got up, it's like, hey, saddle the horses. Where are we going? We're going to go, and we're going to ride for 27 miles today. And uh, bring them back into line. Bring them back. It's work's what you need. Uh, it's what your horse needs. It's what your kids need. Not work. It doesn't always have to be labor, but it has to be physical, exertive uh, activity. Uh, children who run around outside and play and yell and climb trees and get dirty and chase the dog and chase the chickens and, and swim and do all this. They, they come in, and they're too... Exhausted, everything has worked to put back into place, and uh, and it's And it works for you as well. There's been more than one time where I have had emotional, mental uh, volcano inside of me about to blow, and I've gone out to the wood pile with a split maw and an axe, and found great release and great calm in that. We don't work enough. We don't get enough physical exertion. Our kids don't get enough physical exertion. I was in Alaska one winter working in a feed store up there, and I had a lady come in, and she said, "I, I need a different feed." From my dog he's having he's chewing his paws and he's nervous energy and i think i think the dog food i'm using is not right so i asked her i said what dog food are you feeding him she showed me and i thought well so i asked her what breed of dog is it and she said it's a catahoula leopard now a catahoula leopard is a dog that i think was bred came into being down in louisiana or texas down in that area very very athletic um very intelligent very athletic very working dog very hunting and working dog not a house dog and i asked her I said, are you keeping this dog in the house well yeah yeah, he's my house dog. And I'm like, ma'am, this dog is not designed to be in the house. He's not a house dog. Well, most boys are not house boys. All right? they're, not, they're not designed to be in the house. You say, my boy, he loves to sit on the couch and play video games. He ain't designed for that. He just don't know no better. And a lot, of, a lot of the problems that children have, have because they have that because the parents, who are the mature ones who should know better, are not able or willing to direct what that child should be doing, and get that child out, and get that child exercising, and running, and playing, and exploring, and uh, falling down, and like I said, getting muddy, and uh, drinking from the water hose, and and just whatever it is, you know. Um, but your horse is the same way. Your horse needs to be tired. You don't need to build a bond with your horse. That's that is a thought that has come about these days, and it's just foolishness. I train my horses to have a professional outlook and a professional approach to life. They're not pets. Okay. now a bond with a horse isn't bad. But think about this. All right. If you work for a living and you deal with customers, is it necessary that you build a bond with every customer? Now, stop. Think about it. All right. Don't do a knee jerk, idiotic, politically correct answer. All right. Do you have to build a bond with that customer to be able to work with that customer? No, of course not. I mean, you can be courteous. You can smile. You can be friendly. You can do this. You can do that. But you don't have to build an emotional bond with them. If you do build an emotional bond with a customer, then it's going to be hard. Listen to me. If you have to make a hard call with that customer, an unpopular call with that customer out of business, it's going to be hard to do that. You see what I'm saying? Now, in the world I live in, um, you've got professional horses, and that horse needs to be a professional regardless of who gets on that horse's back. That horse needs to know what his job is, and he needs to know the communication signals, and he needs to willingly follow those signals regardless of who's sitting on his back. All right, Emotional bond is not necessary, and in some instances, it is not desirable. You need to be professional. You need to teach your horse to be professional. And your horse needs to work. Your horse needs to work to the point that you have a horse that when you come up and you time up, they're fuzzling, they're spinning, they're looking, they're winning at other horses. They're pawing the dirt. They're pawing. They dig a big dang trough out there at your your hitching post. That is a horse that's not working hard enough. That horse doesn't have no miles. That horse doesn't have enough sweat. Because if you would work that horse and sweat that horse, and I mean seriously work that horse and go out and ride and ride and ride, then when you come in, if he's a bit tired, he's going to be happy to just stand there and be still. Unless you're really messing up with his feed. Unless you're dumping a whole bunch of sweet feed and, and high-protein stuff he doesn't need. And you're overfeeding him. Then you're riding the feed. That could become an issue. You got a horse that's winning, that's dancing down the trail. You got a horse that's um, that's a jigging down the trail, sideways and carrying up. That's a horse that ain't worked hard enough. He needs ridden. He doesn't need trained. He doesn't need to be schooled. He needs to be tired. Less training, more tiring. And that's easy. Because you may not know enough to train everything that needs to be trained. But if you have a horse, you should not know enough to get up in that saddle and be able to go. And owning a horse is a commitment. It's a commitment. It's not a commitment to take it down and pay him $400 a month and stick it in a stall somewhere and have somebody come out twice a week and ride it for 30 minutes in an arena uh, because you can't be bothered or you can't get free to go down and do it. You shouldn't have a horse. you got a horse stuck in a stall somewhere at a boarding stable, and you're paying somebody to ride that horse around an arena for 30 minutes twice a week. And then you come out and try to ride your horse, and your horse is prancing, your horse is dancing, your horse is winning, your horse is going around, and around, around. You took on a commitment that you can't fulfill. Now, horse doesn't need training; he needs tiring, he needs to work. And it's the same thing with us. In this day and age, we just don't exert enough. We don't get tired enough. Uh, we just have all this nervousness. Our mind is going zip, 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 uh, and our emotions are up in the air, and we're depressed, or we're angry, or we're frustrated, or whatever. And it's it's a lack of physical labor. You know, you can come home from the gym. Or you can come home from a bike trail, even in the city. You can come home from wherever and you can be so tired that you'll forget to be depressed. You can be just, I'm just too tired to be angry about the world today. I'm too tired to be angry about this political party or that social construct or this or that. I'm just, I just don't care anymore. When you sweat, you sweat out more than just the physical toxins out of your body. You'll sweat the emotional toxins out and the mental toxins out just as well. Okay. Uh, And if you come, if you come to the school, And I teach and you study and we go through the week. You can walk away having a good week and I can walk away having a good week. And we never emotionally bonded. We don't need to bond. We don't need to emotionally bond. I can go in to wherever I can go in to big R down here to get um, to get a new head stall or something. I can carry that head stall up to the counter. I can lay it on the counter. The young lady can tell me can ring it up. She can be courteous and she can say that'll be fifty nine ninety five. I can reach my wallet, pull out fifty nine ninety five and hand that to her. She can ring it up, put it in the bag. I can smile and say, ma'am, you have a good afternoon and walk out of the store. And there was no emotional bonding involved. Why in the Sam Hill can you not see that that's what you need with your horse? That's what you need with your horse. Your horse needs to be worked and trained and then worked some more to the point that you can go up and have an interaction. And there's no emotional bonding. Take the emotion out of it. There's times with your kids, you've got to set the emotion aside. You've got to say, look, you've got to go get tired. You've got to go get dirty. You need to scratch your knee up. You need to fall out of a tree, all right? You need to walk out there, and uh, you need to throw this rope around the neck of that calf to see if you can, and then he needs to drag you a little ways, Uh, and you'll have a cool story to tell, and uh, you'll be tuckered by the end of the night, and uh, you'll have a different and better outlook on life. Metaphorically speaking, get your butt off the couch. No, realistically speaking, get your butt off the couch. Realistically speaking, get your kid's butt off the couch. And metaphorically speaking, get your horse's butt off the couch, because between the three of you, ain't none of you worth a plug nickel. If you're not out there physically sweating and learning and taking chances and going and getting tired.
2: Well, there you go, more terrific words of wisdom from a real life cowboy. And how do you think Dwayne got to be so wise? Well, it came from more than just existing, more than just living, but from working and the lessons he learned along the way. Like Dwayne, I believe that being healthy mentally goes hand in hand with being active physically. With all the distractions of electronic gadgets and screens and more and more folks are sedentary and that's not good, I hope you'll check out Dwayne's YouTube channel. He is the Dry Creek Wrangler and I just love his videos. By the way, you can find a link to the Dry Creek Wrangler and many other interesting and smart people on our website at vrvshowusa.com. This is the RV Show USA, and I'm Alan Warren, the RV Wingman. Now, up now is a really cool story. It is about, get this, finding love through RVing. I'm not kidding. You're about to meet Tom and Amy, who were both widowed. Both were RVers, and neither one was, as they say, looking for love. I think they were simply looking for a nice campsite. Turns out they found an awful lot more. Mike and Jennifer Wendland from the very popular YouTube channel called RV Lifestyle caught up with these lovebirds, and I just think this is so neat, I wanted to share it. As you'll see, if you're an RVer who's traveling solo, you better watch out, because you never know when Cupid's arrow is going to head your direction.
5: And we so appreciate your sharing your story on how you two met and where you met, uh, I tell you, it's kind of a long story short, but basically, I had a dream of retiring and buying a motorhome and uh, spending winters in Florida. And when I retired on January 1st of 21, I had a plan already made and, and reservations made that were going to culminate in Fort Myers, Florida, because I had a friend that had retired the year earlier that lives down here, and so uh, I had all my reservations pretty much made except I didn't know where I was going to stay when I got to Fort Myers. And so uh, a person that I, I worked with, he recommended the Shady Acres Blue uh, Shady Acres RV Park. Uh, it's on the south end of Fort. Because he's down there uh, every other week during the wintertime and so I thought, well, that sounds good. And so I booked a spot here for uh, a week, which was all I could afford on my income. And so, yeah. <laughs> so while I was here, uh, Thomas uh, shows up that evening. I'm sitting outside having a, a beverage with the Jeff, the guy that had recommended that uh, this RV park to us. And uh, so then Thomas comes by with his little dog Nikki, and uh, he starts chatting with us because. Yeah, you know, that's,
6: that's what, what you do, do when you're in Florida, yeah. walks by, particularly a dog. A dog yeah. is like an introduction to other people. Yeah. So you met and talked that that day. And I just want to go back a little bit. You were both widowed, right? Yes, um, I, my husband passed away in 2018. And uh, Thomas, you, you had been widowed how long? Uh, my wife had passed away in 2019. How long had you been married, Tom? Uh, uh, just uh, a little bit over 50 years. Wow. Wow. And, <laughs> and, and how about you, Amy? I've been married 18 years to, to my husband, who
5: he was 20 years older than me, and I, I think he wasn't really looking forward to the RV plan I had. <laughs> so, did you used to RV before, or this was no. a retirement plan? Well, when I was a kid, we, we camped in very primitive uh, conditions, and so I always had this dream of buying a motorhome. And as soon as I joined the Navy, my family went and bought a motorhome and started <laughs> traveling all over the place.
7: I'm like, well, thanks a lot. <laughs> and, Thomas, did you ever RV? Uh, I had a 1968 Winnebago F19 motorhome
6: in the 70s. Now you were both solo RV travelers, right? Oh yes. Yeah, made all the whole time. Were you looking for somebody? Were you looking for love in the RV park? Or did, <laughs> tell us how, Thomas, from your perspective, how did this meeting happen? No, I
7: was absolutely not looking for love, and you know, but uh, I don't know. She really caught my eye for some reason and uh whenever i was talking to him that night and somebody said that we had to uh, it was quiet time at 10 o'clock and that uh, we needed to sort of shut it down you know and, <laughs> and so i told amy i said okay well amy i'll see you all later and i started to walk off and jeff said well amy i guess i'll go home too and i'm like wait a minute <laughs> caught my caught my attention right
6: away that wait, wait who, who is jeff
7: Jeff's the guy that I, I knew from from my
5: job up in Indianapolis that recommended this particular RV park at uh, Shady Acres, which is now
6: Blueway. You're talking to a friend, and Thomas, you thought she was with him. Yes, that's funny. That's funny. So, so what did you think when you found out that Jeff was just a friend? Oh, I uh, that uh, my spirits went up quite a
7: bit.
5: <laughs> and you had a new route to walk your dog.
7: Oh, no, that's my regular oh, okay. And, and and she gets me up at 7.30 in the morning, or she used to, to go for a walk. And so the next morning, I was out there at 7.30 walking the dog, and Amy's over there drinking a cup of coffee. So, of course, I had to go by and say
6: hi. Oh, of course you did, yes. <laughs> Amy, from your perspective, did you, did you have any intuition that something was going to develop from this guy that you just had met the day before? Not
5: really. I, I was like... He's got great hair. uh, He's got a cute little dog, but he talks funny. (laughs) (laughs) But uh, he kind of grew on me about the second or third day. I kind of got the feeling he wasn't going away.
6: (laughs) Well, Uh how did this all happen that that you guys uh, suddenly decided that uh, you had found love? In the RV park, <laughs>
5: Our first date, we went to the, the beach. He, I had a plan. I have, This was on Tuesday or Monday. On Wednesday, I had plans to go out with this friend of mine that had retired the year earlier that I was there to come to see. And so Thursday... Thomas says, well, how about we go to the beach? So we went to the beach, and it was just kind of a, a walk-up kind of a beach, not an official beach spot where you had restrooms or anything, you know, or cassette concessions or anything. And and so we had a great time at the beach because it came come to the point where it was time we had to get in the water. And so we go running down to the beach like a couple of lovebirds on, you know, uh, some hands. beach show holding hands you know <laughs> into the water and, and here comes a big wave and knocks Thomas yeah. on his rear end and so I'm trying to help him up and then I get knocked down so It was, just like it was, a couple kids we, yeah. took, we took a beach home in our, under, in our swimsuit or at least I did yeah. <laughs> yeah. and then we had another date we went to the casino but he was leaving on that next Monday his family came down to get him and then they were going to Key West for a few days and so and that was the same day that I was heading out to go back north up to Indiana mm-hmm. so by the time I got back home I saw the weather report that it was going to get down to about 28 degrees and I'm like I gotta you know I can't stay here it's too cold I'm gonna have to I don't wanna winterize this motorhome I'm getting out of here so I called up Thomas and I said hey it's too cold up here I'm going to South Carolina for a few days you wanna go with me and he's like when are you picking me up and I said that'll be the day after tomorrow oh yeah sure I'll go with you and so I'm like are you sure my motorhome will fit in your driveway and so I had a 25 foot motorhome and he's like like oh yeah that'll fit that. that'll and so then that summer we took a trip out west we went to Las Vegas and and New Mexico and everything Arizona and of course we went in like July and August and it was like 108 degrees in Las Vegas and I decided you know if we can handle two months in this little motor home in this heat and get along just great we got it made for life
6: yep now one of the coincidences of this is you met in Florida but you found out you both live in Indiana yes
7: oh there's there's a lot of coincidence like what else uh, my, my name is Ray Thomas and her name,
5: her, her, my, my maiden name is, my full maiden name is Amy Ray Thomas' son. So uh-huh. I had the Ray Thomas in my name.
6: <laughs> oh, that's, that's fun. So you did this traveling and it became obvious that, uh, Hey, we got, we, we can get along.
5: And oh, yes. you have children? I have one. and he
6: has I have two. one son. Okay. So you each have one. What did your kids think as they watched this budding romance?
5: Uh, Mine really wasn't too, too, didn't really matter to him at all, but Thomas' family
7: was pretty serious. Yeah, well, my son didn't mind. That was a tight thing about but, but my the grandkids and the great-grandkids, um, they were a little disappointed that I live 100 miles away from them now.
6: They were used yeah. to him being around all the time. Yeah. Now, you both had RVs. You had a 25-foot motorhome. I Amy, mean, what did you have, Thomas? I had a, uh, a, a
7: 30-foot fifth wheel that I left here in Florida. And then I just drive down to it in in the first of January.
6: So you were snowbirds, and does, yeah. Let me just jump forward. Now you both are in the same motorhome. What did you get?
5: We bought a Coachman Freelander 27QBF, so it's on the Ford chassis, and had those slides. We love it. We absolutely love it. We went to Mount Rushmore and Devil's Tower, and we decided that that was great for a couple months, but Florida for four months down here, it's like mm-hmm. that little motorhome was going to get too small real fast, and we needed a bed we could actually walk around and make without Thomas having to wear <laughs> elbow pads on his elbows to keep from bleeding to death in the
7: process. Of making the bed. <laughs>
6: And we love this little motorhome. No slides. It's just perfect. Tell us about the marriage and uh, we have a picture of your wedding cake and um, it was on the wedding cake
5: <laughs> We had the reception at the state park and it's like well you know we're going to be camping we were camping there for three days and it's like you know we're too old for some fancy fancy little bride and groom wedding cake you know and we're doing it at a campground you know so let's just I told the, the baker that made the cake I'm like just do like a campground theme with you know if you can put an RV on there and a campfire or something you know that would be great and so it was a delicious cake and it was really unique and, and beautiful and everybody thought it was really cool we did, too. <laughs> we did too I thought
6: it was really cool too I saw a picture of it and I thought what if on cake many happy <laughs> campfires they said well let's let's round this out a little bit for other people who are out there there's a lot we, we meet so many solo travelers many are widows and widowers like you two I, I would, I, would mean, I like
5: to encourage others to not be afraid of, of getting out there and if you're camping solo you can't be afraid anyway so you know just be open to, to getting out there and, and talking to people and if somebody wants to you know sit down and have a coffee with you then you know hey you never know what might materialize <laughs>
2: I just love that. Wasn't that a nice story? I'll tell you what, there are more solo travelers out there now than ever before, and who knows? With an open mind and a willingness to meet others, hey, it could happen. It could. Say I gotta mention that Mike and Jennifer from RV Lifestyle do a fantastic job. Their reporting covers everything from safety recalls to cool places to go to I don't know. The lovebirds like Tom and Amy. I hope you'll check out RV Lifestyle and uh, stay a while. They're super, super good people. Hey, it's the RV Wingman. And before we roll into our next segment, I want to invite you to join me around my virtual campfire on YouTube. That's right. The RV Show USA has a YouTube channel where you'll find the video version of today's radio show. As you know, I am not a lawyer, and I don't give any legal advice. I'm just a wingman who tries to point people towards RV dealers that I trust and believe in. And it kills me when I hear stories like the one our friend Steve Lato is going to tell us about right now. Now, Steve is a lawyer, and he knows a thing or two about RVs and the law. He really does. Now, you may say, "Ah, that never happened to me. But that's what a lot of people have thought, only to find out they were oh-so-wrong. Here's an example of what can happen if you select the wrong RV dealer to help you sell your
8: RV. There's a legal problem that happens in the RV world and the used car world from time to time. And it happens more often with RVs, I believe. Uh, But I've had people call my office before and say, Steve, I, I had an RV. I wanted to get rid of it which is pretty much a common refrain. And uh, so I found a a dealer that says they would take it in on consignment. So I took it to them, and they had it on consignment. And then later on, I found out they sold it. And um, they didn't give me my money. So I contacted them, and they said, oh, yeah, we just sold it. But they poke around and discover, no, they actually got sold a little while back. It's like, well, then where's my money? Oh, yeah, uh, we're having trouble. Our bookkeeper is sick. The sun was in my eyes. Uh, Oh, we didn't send you your money yet. I got a check. Oh, we mailed you a check. That darn post office. And so I got a couple people sending me this story about an RV dealer closing and leaving his customers in debt. And part of the problem here is that some of the RVs that were sold had liens on them, and the liens weren't extinguished. Meaning that somebody else is now driving an RV that you used to own, but you still have to make payments on. And the money that was supposed to go to you for the sale of the RV and/or your bank uh, somehow didn't make it to you. Several people across the Grand Valley claim that they're still in debt over a trailer or RV that they no longer own after a local dealer sold theirs on consignment. According to claims filed with the Better Business Bureau and other online reviews, and also emails seen by KKCO, the dealer in question promised to sell the RV for a customer on consignment, meaning they would sell it on the customer's behalf, then after a commission and other fees, the remaining profit would then be passed back to the original owner. However, several customers, including a woman named Tessa Sheridan, said the dealer never paid them the money they were owed after selling their RV. It was about two months after we kept bothering them that they had said nothing. And then it was just excuse after excuse after excuse, but why we were not receiving anything. She said she and her husband gave the dealership their trailer at the end of the summer in 2022. They heard almost nothing about it selling or any potential buyers for two months. Then in October, the dealer's finance officer sent them an email saying that their trailer sold for $37,000. And after commissions and consignment fees and all that other stuff, they'd be getting a check for $31,177.50, according to... This woman, though, she never got the money. And as far as her bank is concerned, she still owns the trailer because there is, in fact, a lien on that RV. So she said, we're still having to make payments on it. So we call the bank, and they're like, there's nothing we can do about it until we get a payoff. So then still no check from the dealer. Uh, And then when she called them, they said that their money was tight. Money was tight. They said their secretary is going through some health issues. Oh, it's the secretary's fault. And she was late getting the payments out. Blame it on the secretary. See, the implication is they still have the money. And uh, one of the most interesting things is that if you wind up in a situation where somebody's got your money allegedly sitting in a bank account, they just haven't gotten it to you yet, and later on the money's gone. Somebody can come in and subpoena the bank records to see what that bank balance was. And it better be above the amount they owe you at that moment in time. Because if it's not, it means your money's not there and it's not the secretary's fault. She said once she and her husband threatened legal action, and they said they would also involve the police, at that point the dealership stopped talking to them. Other customers that they located in the Better Business Bureau and some who had emailed the TV station directly said the same basic story. They worked with a salesperson at that dealership. Their trailer uh, or RV was sold on consignment, and they never got any money. The lot was gated up, chained, and locked. Now, here's the problem. Dozens of RVs and trailers were still on the lot, but no one was around to do anything about it, like sell the vehicles or return them. That's when a message... To the Colorado Department of Revenue confirmed that the dealership had surrendered its business license, meaning the company is officially no longer in business. Now, customers who are owed money are left high and dry and in debt. And the woman at the top of the story says, if I would have known that at the beginning, I would have not brought my trailer there. She said she and her husband reached out to the Colorado Attorney General's office and was told there wasn't anything that could be done at this time. And she should understand there's nothing that the Attorney General's office could do. You could obviously hire an attorney and sue, but the problem is that I suspect that that dealership, once they pulled the plug on it, uh, you'd have to be going after the principals and so on personally. And you might be able to do that. Uh, also, the question is if they posted a bond, but the problem is that in many states, the bond required of a dealership is too small to take care of many people, so she also reached out to a private attorney who required money up front, and she said that will put her and her husband in further debt, and this is the kind of case where I've handled cases like this in my career. I've been practicing on it for 32 years. There's a time when I'd file lawsuits against anybody if they had a claim against the nose valve on behalf of the client of mine, and... The problem, of course, is I actually wound up with a bunch of uncollectible judgments. And when you get a judgment against somebody, it means you win. You get a default judgment, for instance, uh, for the full amount of piece of paper. And then you discover that the uh, people you're suing have no more assets. Now, the thing I'm curious about is there's uh, dealerships locked up, but there are dozens of RVs and trailers still on the lot. Who owns them? I suspect most of them, if not all of them, are owned by customers. So theoretically, those customers can come back and get those RVs and trailers, they may have to jump through some hoops to get them back, which is unfortunate. I tried to teach my kids to do the right thing, and this is just not right what they're doing. You know, it's completely wrong, and, and it shouldn't be allowed to happen. So one of the things that you'll discover is that a lot of dealerships, if you actually look at their name on their paperwork, it'll say, you know, Mike's RV Shack of Texas, LLC. And so what'll happen is they'll be conducting business in the name of the corporation, And then when things go bad or financially they wind up insolvent, they just pull the plug on it and walk away from it. And so that might be all fine and good if a company's been just simply operating in an upright manner but couldn't make it. But if criminal acts occurred, there might be ways to what they call pierce the corporate veil. Because if you ever read the corporate papers that are filed with your state about forming a corporation. It'll say, what's the purpose of this corporation? And quite often, states will accept it. You simply say, this corporation will earn a profit in a lawful manner or in any lawful manner. But a lawful manner is the key. A corporations corporation is not allowed to break the law simply because it's a corporation. So if a corporation starts doing things that are unlawful, then you can often sue the people behind the corporation and say, well, You had a license, perhaps, to broker vehicles, right? And so when you broker a vehicle, I guarantee you the laws of that state say that you shall, you know, send the money to the owner of the vehicle promptly. And failure to do that is probably not just a civil action, but a criminal action, meaning that somebody could actually be prosecuted for a crime. And now this isn't the same as somebody holding up a gas station, running off in the night wearing a mask. But fraud is something that's illegal. It's something you can sue someone for, but it's also something that someone can be prosecuted for. And the only reason you don't hear about a lot of prosecutions in cases like this is that people will say, well, we didn't sell their vehicle intending to defraud the owner. We sold their vehicle with every intent of passing the money along to the owner. But what happened was uh, a bill came in and somebody accidentally paid it out of the wrong account. Next thing you know, we didn't have the money. And when you have to prove intent in court, somebody was thinking and planning on doing why they did what they did. The intent aspect of fraud is actually quite hard to prove. And so with a dozen cases, uh, I would hope that a prosecutor would step up and take this and prosecute somebody. But whether these people get their money back, highly unlikely. And so I know that in the other cases I've heard of, and I have heard of other cases specifically with RVs, and I've also heard of this problem with automobile dealerships, uh, brokers. But it's usually in the RV or boat I've also heard of boats. And so what happens is the company's trying to run, pay their salaries, all that stuff, and and you think it's hard to sell RVs? Try to sell used ones. (laughs) It's even worse
2: i got to tell you, Steve is great. He's funny, and he has some really interesting stories that he shares. This one about the consignment shop that appears to have conned its customers is not all that common, but it can and does happen. It really does. If you're going to consign your RV, please do it with a reputable company. Check them out. If you'd like my recommendation, you can find it on our website, or just go to pplmotorhomes.com, put it all together, pplmotorhomes.com. They are the largest consignment RV dealer in the nation and have been doing it for 50 years and they will never disappear on you in the meantime while you are poking around on the internet go to youtube and check out steve's channel called leto's law l e h t o leto's law Alright, they're giving me the signal to wrap it up, but before we do, to get the latest version of my free RV report showing you how to save thousands of dollars when buying a new RV and learn how to not get ripped off, you can download it right now on our website, yes you can, at TheRVShowUSA.com. And remember, if you're looking for a great RV dealer to do business with, I hope you'll check out those of the RV Dealers I Trust Network. Providing the absolute best buying and ownership experience ever. Go to rvdealersitrust.com. And finally, a special thanks to you for joining me around our virtual campfire. Till next time, I'm Alan Warren, the RV Wingman. Be safe, have fun, play nice, and don't leave your good manners at home. The RV
0: Show USA. Start living the RV dream today.